0: I'm Jordan Ferguson
1: and I'm Kit McKinnon
0: and you are listening to the geek down podcast. What's up y'all welcome back to another fantastic episode of the geek down podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And joining me on the other line, lounging in the satellite branch in scenic Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. It's your girl, Caitlin McKinnon.
1: I don't really lounge. I try and sit up as straight as possible.
0: Um, uh, you probably shouldn't be lounging while you're broadcasting or trying to make audio content. It's probably not a good thing to lounge.
1: Yeah, you gotta you gotta stay upright so you're you know you can work your diaphragm and you can project and you know speak very clearly into yeah. the microphone. Um, I mean, I would like to lounge. That would be. That would be the best thing ever if I could just lounge and do podcasts.
0: Generally, we just don't need the sound of your sinuses rolling back. We don't need the sound of your sleep apnea coming through on the mic. I don't know if you have sleep apnea or not, but it's just generally not good for audio fidelity. So that's why we don't do it. Friends, this is episode 274 of the Geek Down podcast. If you'd like to listen to any of our other 273 episodes, unlike most podcasts, we'll tell you where to find it. Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, or Stitcher. Give us a follow, rate, review, subscribe, push us up the algo, help other people find the show. And when you do those things, you'll never have to worry about missing another episode, no matter what state you're in, upright or supine, because new episodes are going to be brought to your device, delivered directly to you on the back of a rainbow mane alicorn named Philip by a man who's always wide awake. And that's your man's.
1: Dr. Chauncey Fastilicus, the third geek down at internet elf. I added the doctor in because sometimes people forget.
0: Well, people don't know he's actually a doctor of philosophy. So, I mean, he's kind of a fake doctor.
1: Ouch. Shots fired.
0: I mean, technically true, but all you anti-vaxxers out there, Chauncey is not the person to consult for medical advice. He knows a lot about a lot of things, but not not epidemiology.
1: No, but he will tell you're an idiot for not getting vaccinated.
0: Boy, will he. If you would like to argue against Chauncey's position and get muted on Twitter, you can do that by following us at GeekdownPod. Get up off Twitter. That is where we will mute you and where the show lives on the social meds. If you'd like to support the Endeavor financially, we always appreciate that. KO-FI.com slash GeekdownPod. Throw three bucks in the old tip jar. Means the world to us. Cherish every dollar generated. It's not
1: just ice cubes in there.
0: <laughs> it's not, not. just ice cubes. It's not
1: just, chain. just We're... we're, we're- we're jangling that change.
0: Ice cubes? <laughs> We're putting ice cubes in the tip jar.
1: No, no, no. It's, you know, when someone has a cup and it sounds the same as... Never mind. It's, it's from Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> You're on the show. Hot refs. <laughs> Hot <laughs> I mean, contemporary
0: <laughs> references of the sort you can only find on the Geekdown podcast. <laughs>
1: There was an episode where, you at? Were where you at, L- where you at, where you at,
0: Lithgow Hive? Get at me.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Could you hear my hesitation? Oh, yeah. Could you hear oh, yeah.
0: You were, you were, you were tiptoeing, but you were already too far out over the plank at that point. So, you know, all respect. You just, you chose to walk it. You chose to walk it. And you know what? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I won't sink. Maybe I won't sink. But you did, and you owned it. So, you know what? Respect to Katie Mac. Takes a brave broadcaster to just be like, Thank you know you. what? Thank you. Third Rock from the Sun, ref. <laughs> just going to drop that. <laughs> sure, got some nineties, got some eighties <laughs> babies out there who are watching that on yeah. CTV after school every day. So, <laughs> uh,
1: talk about showing your age, right?
0: <laughs> Friends, if you're wondering why we're talking about Third Rock from the Sun instead of the current uh, global war breaking out, it's because we are not experts in Eastern European foreign policy. Here's a fun fact for all of y'all. Neither are you. What a twist. So I know sometimes we talk a lot about current events on this show. We also know when to pick our spots. There's a whole lot of other podcasts where you can learn more about the current state of the world. This will not That's right. be one of them.
1: But if you want to know uh, another signal of the end of days. <laughs> because um, you don't have it's enough. That, it's that ALF will soon be... Coming back onto screens near you. What? Yeah, that's right. Caitlin, don't do this. Um. Caitlin, so please. from an article from Gizmodo. Please don't do this. Cult beloved eighty sitcom out by who? About A sarcastic alien who crash lands by on Earth and who? finds res- refuge. Who is beloved in a middle class suburb is finally set to come back
0: finally? to screens
1: in a big way.
0: <laughs> you like when I just fight with the articles deadline. Caitlin's reading. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Try. Uh, um, according to Deadline, um, they will be. Th- that <laughs> Show Factory TV will be bringing. Uh, it's a streaming service, apparently, bringing Alf out of the archives again. Um
0: all better. Do Y'all... we need. <laughs> don't even ask the question. You do know we... the answer.
1: <laughs> we don't need Alf, guys.
0: Uh, yo, Alf ended on a cliffhanger, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so maybe we can finally get, you know, 30 years later, the, uh, the answer.
1: Maybe. But the- I mean, this is, this is, this is just them re-launching Everything like is content. the old episodes.
0: Everything. What do you mean? Oh, they're just, what? They're going to air them again? Yeah. Oh God. I- oh, thank Christ. I thought this was a reboot. <laughs> I was like, y'all better fumigate that puppet. Um,
1: so... So, but this is this is this is the part of the article where I was like, "But we still don't need this co-creator Patchet and oh, co- sorry, co-creators Patchett and Fusco, who puppeteered and voiced Alf, are, as you might expect, extremely stoked about Alf's second coming. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sh- uh, the shout, which is the streaming service, is the home away from melmac that alf has been looking for oh we're looking forward oh to God. bringing you alf in a totally new way with new content unseen art and restored fit footage not seen in 30 years this is the moment alf fans have been waiting for who no, God,
0: please, no. find me one. well
1: that's the question
0: who are they <laughs> who are you are out there? that's a, get at me a, that's where you get a twitter come to twitter <laughs> At Geek Town Pod, if you count yourself among the ALF fans in the world, if you were just if you were just uh, waiting, unable to get ALF back into your life, remember? <laughs> you know I'm going to drop the drop right here. Everybody knows it. It's probably where most of the people have only ever heard of ALF is from that Simpsons clip. ALF
1: Pogs. Remember ALF? He's back in pod form. <laughs>
0: Friends, I feel like I have to contextualize it if anybody's listening to it or you're in like Australia. <laughs> what up, girl? Um... Alf was an '80s sitcom, like Kate said, about an, an alien who was puppeted. He ate cats. Alf was not his name. His name was Gordon Chumway. Yes, I remember that. Uh,
1: <laughs> but really, you were the fan that has been waiting for this all these I mean, years. I mean, I feel
0: I feel like Mr. Melosh. Wait, Mr. Melosh is probably you might have had to pull his car over off the road as he's, as he's listening to this. I feel like Mr. Melosh <laughs> as a child was one of the Alf fans. I feel like he had an Alf plushie back in the day. I feel like I distinctly remember a lot of ALF paraphernalia at Mr. Malash's house when we were kids. Possibly a sheet set. Definitely a plushie. Um, Amazing. Yeah. He, he ate cats. That was the other big funny mm-hmm. thing ALF mm-hmm. used to do. And he was, you know, he was a uh, sardonic in a very, a very eighties America kind of way, which means not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 I, th- I think that the, 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 just the word Melmac, like that's what they thought a like a cool, wacky, uh, <laughs> comedic name for a planet would be. <laughs> Melmac, sure.
1: It's weird to have... See, my memories of ALF, like, I, of course, I had seen the show. It was, like, on Near and Around the same time as uh, Who's the Boss? So, like... Yes. Um, but just my remembrance of ALF is basically a really white bread TV show, just that happened to have this alien that could have been replaced by, like, a s- sarcastic uncle. Like, it just... <laughs>
0: It was, uh, yeah, it was just basically, you know, I don't, I feel like the dad must have worked for some, like, NASA agency, and that was the cause of the conflict. Like, I don't know why people were always, oh, they always had to hide oh, ALF, so is, people were always looking for ALF. Um, this
1: is this is American Dad. This is basically, yeah, basically. where he got the idea for American
0: Dad. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry, ALF stood for alien life form. His name was Gordon Shumway, but they call him ALF because he was, he was an elf, alien life form. Oh, the 80s. Uh, Well, thanks for that. Can all sleep soundly knowing that. The world stands on the brink of global collapse. collapse. But Alf coming back. Alf back in the
1: building. I think if you looked very closely at the Bible, this is one of the signs of the
0: end time. You think they're related?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Alf riding on one of the horses of the apocalypse or something.
0: This episode's getting very dark. (laughs) Yeah.
1: you have anything uh, else well, for us today,
0: can, Caitlin? My God.
1: I can keep it dark and you can bring us up if you want. Well,
0: I don't know if I have anything to bring us up. I might, but <laughs> we're, we're already in it now. So.
1: so the other day, I didn't know what he was talking about. The other day, senior correspondent Chris said something about like, if he puts a certain money, amount of money away per month, he could, uh, he could have, like, you know, the $6,000 needed for us to go to Disney's uh, Star Wars. Um, It's called the Edge edge of the Galaxy or Edge of the Galaxy. Um, And I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought it was just, like, a, a number he'd sort of, like, pulled out of the air, just being like, it's become very expensive to go to Disney, especially... Um, uh, The Edge of the Galaxy stuff or the Star Wars Disney World stuff. Very, very expensive. I wasn't really sure what he was talking about. I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, that's a thing you could do like once in your life. And, you know, when you put all the money together, it will, it'll cost a fair bit, right? When we get our lightsabers and, you know, you think about the cost of staying you, you, in you Florida ha- and all. You have that. to And pay- this is from like,
0: you have to put aside costs for light sta- lightsabers.
1: Yeah, that's the Man. reason to go. But anyway, so I wasn't I thought he was just had come up with like this extraordinary amount of money we would need to just have like this really interesting time but do it like once in our lives, blah blah blah. And and I ran into this article and I realized what he was talking about. So The headline of the article, again from uh, Gizmodo, is Disney's 6,000 Star Wars Hotel is incredibly immersive, but it still costs (laughs) $6,000. So uh, we go inside Disney World's Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel to see if it's really worth the high price to LARP in a galaxy far, far away. So basically what this is, it's a two-day... Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel experience, where you literally. So, for those who have not heard the show or not heard me talking about LARPing, it's it's short for live action role playing. Um, and basically, you become part of the story over this two days at the Star Wars hotel. So, really, the cost is like four thousand eight hundred dollars for two people, and this is an American, mind you. Um. But with the right, like the change and then taking in consideration wanting to do like the rides and the lightsaber and everything, yeah, it'd easily be like $6,000. And that's
0: for two um, days?
1: That's for two days. And that's the $4,800 is like for two days at the hotel. And like the... Caitlin. I did. Yes. I
0: just want to contextualize it for you.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: My two weeks in Japan. Yeah. When I had it slated out. Mm-hmm. was
1: for, was $5,000. Yeah, and that's the argument for, for this, right? Is that this is... Like, I didn't know he was talking about, like, these two days <laughs> in this thing. I thought he was talking about, like, a week-long trip mm. to do a bunch of different things in Florida, but also taking into account the, like, going to Edge of the Galaxy theme park part of Disney um I did. I didn't know about this I don't know if I wasn't paying attention <laughs> or I was getting distracted by ALF articles like I don't know what, what where the miscommunication I mean
0: was. to be fair it's um, very easy to get distracted by ALF
1: Yes, but there is like there's a ton of stuff. Like it's extremely interactive. It's really immersive. It's really like fun and interesting. But this consensus across the board. Getting
0: a massage from Billy D. Williams. If you're gonna charge me forty eight hundred dollars for two nights.
1: That's that's the thing. It is just like the consensus is. Yeah, it was amazing. It is not worth six thousand dollars. Um, for two and it's not, nights,
0: my god,
1: yeah, yeah, um, like, and and is it for non-Star Wars like big fans? Uh, probably not. And it's just it's related to this um, upping of prices um, because, and this has been sort of something that's been repeated in the last little bit is that places like Disney World are no longer for even just like middle-class families like it's getting to the point where middle-class families can't easily afford disney world um and therefore they're like okay let's just cater to people who have a large amount of disposable income um and just charge them a ridiculous amount because we're not getting the money from the middle-class families now i was part of that like lower middle class family threshold, we were never going to Disney World. Like like my like I if the commercials came on, I better not even utter Disney World because I would just get like a no like from the kitchen. Like it was just never, ever, ever happening. Um but even families who are like in the comfortable range, that that's it's not for to take you, two parents and two kids, it's just become way too expensive. Um so, yeah, it's just another thing that I just thought was, I wanted to share with people to be like, there is a threshold of how, like, how much I love a thing. And I can, <laughs> I can still call out that something that's ridiculous, even though I love it. Do I love Star Wars? Sure. Do I love R- LARPing? Absolutely. Do I think this is super neat? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Kate. Would I pay $6,000? No, I would not. Yes.
0: What if it's Harry Potter?
1: Same.
0: What if they amped? What if they just amped it up? And those those like little things that you got from the wizarding world are just like full on. No. You are at Hogwarts. Same. You are taking lessons. You are making magic actually happen. And then they fucking tormentors have... crash through the wall, and like you have to fight them. And like
1: it's the same thing. I I mean, it'd be such a fun experience. But if I can go to another part of the world for half the price be there for like twice not even more than twice (laughs) more than twice um and like be more rested when i get back the other thing is i don't have eight i don't have money a money tree where i can just be like yes six thousand dollars and i don't have a time tree where I can just like I only get a certain number of weeks of vacation, right? Um, I can't go to something like this and then be like, yes, I am rested. <laughs> um, I I I feel like I can go back to work and not go crazy. No. Um, this is like a uh, one in a lifetime uh, once in a lifetime experience, but uh, the cost is just outrageous it's,
0: it's ridiculous. that's ridiculous like, yeah.
1: it's such a it's a huge amount it's like an actual large percentage of my income per year i can't just be like yep <laughs> it's like six thousand dollars it's all good um so yes i i am i was surprised and horrified and i don't know if i should be but i still was <laughs> um and i want everyone to realize that they should also be surprised and horrified um, yeah so those are my stories those are the things that i was like huh that's surprising and horrifying let's tell everybody else like so share Jeez. with me <laughs> so, so jordan how does your news compare you can uh, you bring us up
0: no absolutely not in fact my news ties into an up ties into update so i'm gonna call an audible right now and i'll get into my piece of news when i start my update so as is tradition we will start with yours what have you been watching
1: um so I think I mentioned we were watching Disenchantment the fourth season.
0: You've um, mentioned it in the past that you have watched it. I don't know if it's been okay. brought up that you're into this season, but
1: so fourth season started um February ninth. Uh we've watched the entire season. Um Disenchanted has always been hit or miss for me. Yes. Or hit and miss, rather, for me. Um just There are moments that are brilliant and there are moments that are just, it's not well-written. I find they often don't know what to do with the characters. Um, And I've enjoyed certain things. And I thought season, I think it was season three was the best so far. I believe so. Um, Season four is not good. It is not well written. So many of the jokes fall flat. They do this weird thing where they continue a joke for too long, mm. um, and it. I think the idea is that it will get funnier, but it, it doesn't. It falls completely flat. Um, even the like the, the the story arc is not good. It's very um, inconsistent which is disappointing cuz that like I always want it to just get a little bit better every season and it and it doesn't. Um we still watched it um but yeah and because it's a it's a matte groaning creation at one point senior correspondent Chris was like this character basically you can just picture Bender from Futurama saying everything this character says <laughs> um because they're basically the same character. And yeah, so that was a little disappointing. Um I thought maybe they were just having a hard time getting their footing in season four, but no, the whole season is is good. It actually gets worse as it goes on. Which is unfortunate. Um, we also uh stumbled up, or not stumbled, Chris had wanted had said, Hey, I had heard about this show. I can't remember if you brought it up. Someone in my life brought it up. Maya and the three? Wouldn't me. So, Maya and the Three is a computer animated fantasy streaming television miniseries um, created by Jorge R. Gutierrez. Sorry, I probably butchered that. Um, and it's a, it's a nine-episode, I believe it's a limited series, so it's like this is the full story. Uh, but it's a nine-episode series, um, and it is set in the, like, pre-colonial mesoamerica um world um and it's really interesting it's very vibrant um it centers around maya who's a warrior princess she's about to celebrate her 15th birthday and then these underworld gods appear and she basically has to collect um uh, a D&D party, we like to call it. And, like, there's a prophecy. She has to collect this party and defeat them. Um, and they want to take her and, like, sacrifice her to the underworld gods. Um, and it's got this amazing voice cast. So Zoe Saldana plays Princess Maya. It's got Gabriel Iglesias, Diego Luna. Um, it's got Alfred Molina and... Uh, Stephanie Beatriz, and um, Danny Trejo, Queen Latifah, Wyclef is in it, Rosie Perez is in it. Um, So it's got like this just...
0: Who made this?
1: Who's who? Voice actors. Uh, It's a company called Tangent Animation. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. There you go. So something that they threw threw money at. Um, But it's for, I think, older kids. Um, It has some storylines. So like, something you don't really see, which is... Basically, uh, uh, the father has, like, cheated on the mother, and there are consequences for this. And you don't usually get to see these sort of things in in stories for kids, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's really interesting. We've only watched the first two episodes. Um, but we're definitely going to continue, and I'll let you know. All right. But the animation is interesting. The visuals are really interesting. Um, it's just been very different. So that's, that's been fun. We know how much I love animated content. So I'll let everyone know how it goes uh, next. Because probably, we're probably going to finish it by next episode that we do. Um, and then the third thing is not a TV show. Um, a couple weekends ago, I forgot to mention that I got together with some friends. Finally, it was amazing because we haven't seen people in a long time. And we had a board game day oh. um, and we pl- played a, a new game that we loved um, and whenever there's a board game I really really love I want to share it with people um, it's called horrified and basically it's a we also know how much I love cooperative games it's a cooperative game mm-hmm. where you your, your group has to try and take down um, one of the classic monsters from like the universal monster movies mm-hmm. You know, there's like Frankenstein and, and Dracula and, um, and Bride of Frankenstein and the, and the Swamp Thing or, and, you know, the Invisible Man, all of that. So you can pick how many monsters you want to fight against. And the mechanics are really great. The game visuals are really well done. It's done by a really well-known board game and puzzle manufacturer called Ravensburger um and the game looks beautiful it's really easy to play it's really easy to just be like oh this is how like it doesn't take a lot of explaining some larger games you gotta it's like you gotta play like three games to really get it this was immediate um it is a little bit pricey um so if you have a board game cafe near you and when things start to open up i would definitely see if they've got it check it out um it's sort of like reading something in the library first, seeing if you like it. Um, but yes, anyone who's really into board games and loves like that classic um, monster genre would would absolutely enjoy this game. So again, it's called horrified. And if you play it, let us know. And that's it. That's uh, all the stuff I did. Well, all
0: right. How do I want to organize mine? Let me look at the list. Let's, let's alternate. Let's start with something fun. Uh, love is blind. Japan wrapped. Last week.
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: Caitlin, would you believe out of all of them, only two couples made it? No. Only two couples made it. I was stunned. That's two more than I thought would make it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was d- dumb. and <laughs> it was a dumb, stupid reality show. And I really was not paying attention on the last episode. Um, because, you know. They, they get to the actual wedding and it's like you know oh my god is it actually going to happen and some people were like in the building it was like yeah no we're not going to do this and the one i thought the one i thought she was going to like i thought she, i thought she was trifling i thought she was i thought she was out she was a bit of a flake but she how did she say i don't know how i feel about marriage but i do know i don't want you not to be around tomorrow and i'm like well, that doesn't mean you have to get married but i guess it's the show so
1: <laughs> yeah
0: so here we are um and they did follow ups for months later, and they still everyone still seemed to be together so i haven't che- i haven 't peeped on instagram yet but but we uh we'll see Instagram always tells the tale as we know but yeah um less fun something else that conclude frame that better uh something else that concluded this week uh that was less fun was the four part cosby documentary on showtime slash grave oh. which uh went through Really his full shift around the time that Hannibal Burris um, went viral for just saying the thing out loud in a way that everyone knew but hadn't phrased before. Um, that was in 2014. And it's if, if everything up to this point has kind of been like, yes, he's a predatory monster, but here are some good things that he did, and that's hard to balance between the two. The fourth part is just like, yeah, he was a total... Kind of a total fucking ass by by that point. Um, the 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 moment there are two moments. There is one where I did not know that Cosby had a tendency to <laughs> how do you want to put it smite all dissent. Like if anyone wrote anything um, critical of him, he would like be on the phone with editors and it's very very Trumpy type of attitude to like you know go after anybody who wrote anything critical about him. And there's this guy, um, this was around the time where they say it multiple times in the, uh, in the doc that there was a moment where Cosby shifted from America's dad, America's dad, everyone's dad to specifically black America's angry granddad, where this is around the time he gave this speech at uh, the NAACP, I believe it was, forgive me if I'm getting the specifics wrong, but they call it the pound cake speech where he's just kind of like rambling about all the ways that he sees the black community as failing. And a lot of people felt kind of betrayed by that. Um, Right. Because it was so bit of a 180 to how he had been up to that point. And there's this um, professor, author, I've seen his books around major Canadian retailers. His name's Mark Lamont Hill. And he was in this documentary, all four parts. He's a great presence. He's a great talker. And he tells this story about basically writing an op-ed. And I believe the student paper, um, of the college he was working at and basically saying that wasn't cool. And he disagreed with it. And he tells this story about one, him getting a call from like his, his, somebody, his faculty head or somebody being like, so the president, the provost, the vice president are all getting calls from Bill Cosby and his people wanting to know if you're tenured. Oh, shit. And then there's a, and then also Cosby wants to talk to, you know, faculty. I don't know if the students are faculty. He just wants to give some talks about how to teach people. And Mark Lamont Hill is not above going, even though he's never taught a class in his life. He kind of calls out the weird kind of like, as the kind of fraudulent way that Cosby positioned himself as like Mr. Education. Like he called himself Dr. Cosby, but... Yeah, had like the, somebody said, it's like the lowest PhD. It's like the lowest graduate degree you can get. Um, mm. So gives this thing, you know, whatever. And he tells this story about going up to him and saying like, you know, Dr. Cosby, I just wanted to, you know, I'm Mark Lamont Hill. I wrote a piece that I understand you weren't a fan of. I just wanted to say, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, do, do the like, I respect you, but I disagree with you type of thing. And mm-hmm. he said, he said, he doesn't look at me. He looks to the side and he says, Mr. Hill. Now remember, he's Dr. Cosby. I'm Mr. Hill. Right. And without looking at me, he goes, am I fucking with you? And I'm like, excuse me? Am I fucking with you? No. Then why are you fucking with me? As he said, like all the North Philly came out of him in that moment. Like he was Jesus. just for as much as he was like, you know, Jello put in America's dad, he... He was like that with a lot of people, like like I've said from jump, it is the, it is the thorniest thing to watch. I do think it's a necessary watch. If you have ever wrestled with the art artist debate, which is something we have Loki talked about numerous times on this show during the show's lifetime. Um, It's definitely thought provoking in that regard. But given the subject matter and given the horrendousness of Cosby's crimes and the fact that as they're filming, he gets out of jail, that was, the, that, was a, that was a crazy moment yeah. where, like, you see the director, W. Kamau Bell, like, checking his phone. He's like, I was just about to interview some lawyer where we were going to talk about, you know, Cosby's future in prison, blah, blah, blah. And now because he basically – they explain it in the movie as, like, he did this deposition where he basically laid the whole game out. But it was supposed to be sealed and the agreement he had with the DA, whether it was civil suit or something, some DA was like, do this deposition and none of it can be used in future litigation. So he did it and he like said the whole shit. And then another DA came along and said, well, whatever that guy said, we're throwing that out and we are going to use it and you're going to jail. And as this lawyer they're talking to said, you know, the Supreme Court overturns that. And grants his appeal. And he's like, it was the correct decision for a terrible person. Yeah. He's like, you can't throw out a previous an agreement from a previous district attorney. He's like, you can't do it. So they made the right call. It's just the worst person in the world it could happen to. Um so for the issues it's tackling and for the the way it approaches them and the sensitivity with which it approaches them, it was just a fantastic piece of work, but not the most, a highly rated, but low recommended, <laughs> high rate, low recommend, shall we say, um, which is, you know, only unique pieces of art can do that. So shouts to everyone who was involved in the production of that. Uh, let's keep it a little, not, let's keep it in this mixed bag for a moment before we go out on a high note. So a ranking of Kings, despite approaching uh, what I was deeming Dragon Ball-like levels of pacing issues. Yeah. Can we wrap up this Oaken fight? As good an episode as it was, as awesome as it was to see all the big four together against a common enemy, and how well animated that was and what a generally exciting episode it was. You keep playing the like, oh he can't be stopped mode a little too much. You know why I'm here, Kate? I'm here for that moment where the, the big bad is caught off guard. Yes. Well the the mute immortal guy doesn't get caught off guard that often, and I'm getting a little annoyed, despite how good of a episode it was overall. However, turns out we cannot have nice things. So there is a recent episode of Ranking of Kings, and spoilers for anybody who has taken my recommendation to watch the show and is not caught up. Um, there has been some backstory revealed as as King Boss, who is in, who is resurrected in the body of his uh, second son, Dida, is telling snake guy a few details about the history of, um, Moranjo, this woman in the mirror, who's kind of been manipulating everything and wants to take the kingdom down and why he's got such, why he's kind of letting her do it. If it's supposed to be his kingdom, um, and why he let this woman like kill Boji's mother, uh, and attack the kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of it has to do with, um, Him witnessing these atrocities done to Moranjo's people. So uh, Moranjo's, again, these are now the reveals of the wider world that you're getting. Even though it's been really bottled into this one kingdom, there is a wider world. And the show has been revealing some of that in recent episodes. And this has to do with a kingdom called Homa who got in a fight with the gods. Are the gods 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 or are they just beings? We don't really know. But they they were magic users who got in a fight with the gods and were warring with the gods and kind of got defeated and look to form an alliance with another people. And the alliance that they form is with the Gyakuza nation. So in the series, the Gyakusa are depicted as deceitful people who betray the homeless kindness. Basically they just take advantage of how nice these magic using Homa people are. And for a show that is celebrated, rightfully so, for how nuanced all the characters are and how yeah. how multifaceted their motivations are uh, and how they act. Just having an entire race of people be like, they're just bad. Right. Seems a little odd. (laughs) It was when people, and people noticed this in the original manga. So now in 2019, so now it's being animated and they're noticing it and calling it out again. That, uh, this is from anime news network. Uh, Ranking of King's original web manga inspired debate in twenty nineteen when some readers argued that the countries of Homa and Gyakuza can be read as analogues for the historical relationship between Japan and Korea um, ah later, so yeah, the Gakuza are depicted as deceitful people who betray the Homa's kindness. Later history is rewritten so that the Yakuza only remember the Homa as one sidedly evil oppressors who were when they were simply trying to help by giving them magic.
1: oh shit.
0: However, the Gak um however the I have no answer when asked by the gods why the Homa built schools and hospitals if they were so apparently evil. This does not help matters when um artwork from the manga and now you know background artwork of the show of the Gyakuza nation before the arrival of the Homa bears too much of a similarity to pre colonial Korea? Oh. Oh, why can't we just have nice things, Caitlin?
1: I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you! Ah, uh, this is very. Why very does
0: my nice little fantasy show have to have some weird pro-colonial undertones?
1: <sighs> <sighs> Go die now! <laughs> <It's just
0: laughs> why? Why can I not just have nice things? I'm going to keep watching the show. I'll probably still enjoy the show, but anytime this storyline comes up, I'm just going to be like, Are <sighs> F." This,
1: this is the problem with removing things like books from shelves or parts of textbooks from textbooks that really need to be in there. Um... Uh, that's, that is, that is, I mean, and really, some, really upsetting,
0: some readers, some readers argue they don't see the parallels at all. And some readers say they do. The mangaka has never issued a statement one way or the other, uh, based on it uh, as one commenter in December, 2019 said, describing ranking of Kings as a poorly thought out manga that projects an internet right wingers image of Korea onto a group of fictional people. God damn it. So no, (laughs) correct. Ending on a interesting and happier type of note before we head into the back half of the show. So Caitlin sends me a link to watch the thing that we are watching this week. And it is on to my surprise, the website for TV Ontario.
1: (laughs) Channel two, everyone.
0: Y'all, if you're unfamiliar, yes. Channel two TV Ontario is the uh, provincial public broadcaster here in Canada, um, a lot of, we have, we have multiple government broadcasters. Um, we have the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Incorporation. Um, do other provinces have a TVO equivalent?
1: Well, I mean, P, oh, sorry. Uh, they must. I now need to know. I was just thinking, sorry, uh, TVO often airs things from PBS. Yes. Um, which they, PBS seems to have like their own locals. If that makes any sense. Um, I just need to look this up now because I need to know this. Oh I God. mean, I'm sure they must.
0: Radio magic. I'm the magician today. According <laughs> to Wikipedia, several provinces maintain provincial public broadcasting networks, in addition to the CBC, including Tele-Quebec, TV Ontario, TFO, and Knowledge in British Columbia. Uh, city Two city TV affiliates in Saskatchewan and, and Alberta are former public broadcasters as well. Uh, so, yes, it's generally, it's 90%... Um, Kids programming now. Mm-hmm. I know this because sometimes I'm fascinated by the existence of TV Ontario, and I'm like, "What is even on there?" Because I'm a weird, <laughs> I'm a weird media nerd like that. And sometimes I just am fascinated by small broadcasters and want to know, like, if it's college radio, if it's if it's local TV. I'm like, "What is even on here? What are they showing? How do they do this all the time?" It's basically like TV Ontario was like four hours of uh, kids programming repeated twice a day, and then the agenda with Steve Paikin. <laughs> that's basically. <laughs> uh, that's basically it. R.I.P. to El Weost. We'll never forget you, God. <laughs> um, so she sends me this link, and apparently there's a lot more content. Uh, I don't know if it ever gets aired, um, terrestrially, but on their website they have a lot of. Streaming documentaries, including the one we're going to talk about in the back half of the show. And when I loaded up the page, down on the right side were a bunch of other documentaries. I was like, oh, look at that one about Tori Morrison. Look at that one. About... What? So because of the nature of the people I follow on Instagram, um, a few people mentioned last year that they were taking part and being featured in this movie called Records. Right. And Records was the sequel or companion piece 25 years later. To a movie called Vinyl. Which was released in 2000. But filmed basically from 95 through 99. These were both done by a Canadian. Named Alan Zweig. um, Who has become. A fairly notable. um, Somewhat autobiographical. Somewhat navel-gazy. Documentary filmmaker. So. I wasn't going to watch records. Before I watched Vinyl. And that's available in full on YouTube. So (laughs) that's what I did this weekend. Amazing. I saw myself, y'all. Um, <laughs> these are two.
1: This... Go ahead. No, I was gonna say there is there is a lot of stuff out there that TVO has brought to my life, so I'm glad it could bring something to yours.
0: So yeah, these are two. These are two documentaries, basically of um, Allen's week talking to record collectors. And what's fascinating when you watch the two of them back to back. If you're going to watch one, watch the second one. If you're going to watch them both, it's a, it's a richer experience because the one he made first, vinyl, if you think about the nature of the hobby then and what it was, this is pre-Spotify, this is baby internet, this is pre-smartphone, you know, um, and just what the nature of it was then. It's very. Here's a throwback reference for longtime listeners of the show. It's very Steve Buscemi and Ghost World.
1: I would kill to have stuff like this. Please, go ahead and kill
0: me. Ah yes. It's a lot of, and what made it compelling at the time is things we all take for granted now is like he was kind of interrogating these people. It's a. It's really combative. Zwig is one of these people, but he also hates himself, so he gets a little. <sighs> combative with folks and he thinks his fascination with collecting records has prevented him from I, I don't even know if he knows why he wants he complains a lot and he does a lot of like filming himself in the mirror type thing um where he kind of narrates how he's feeling or what he's doing and why is he the need to make tapes all the time with these records that he's buying um and has it stopped him from like meeting somebody or starting a family and you know blah 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 which really it's it was you know as he says in the second one, it's kind of a metaphor for like he couldn't – he wanted to get into the Canadian film industry and couldn't figure out a way to do it. Right. So the records were like a narcotic, which all just fed into this big thing that like made him hate himself type of thing. So he gets really combative with a lot of people he's talking to where it's like, how would you get into this? And it's like, I just really love music. No, you don't. Like <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's like, it's, like, it's like you just admit you're a loser. Like he's real combative in the first one. As he said, oh fuck, I wrote it down. Because he says in the second one at some point, which is a much sunnier, kind of happier. He said the first film was about failure. This film is about acceptance. Because ah. he has a kid in the second movie. You don't know If you watch him back to back, suddenly there's just a kid floating around. You never see her. But he's right. got a daughter. And he's generally cooler with it. And like, he talks to a lot of people who have like sold their stuff and... Come back, and to his mind, there's this, there's this figure again. I don't I don't want to say too much because I don't know if I want to give you the second one. I don't want to make this a fuller conversation or just hear what you think about it. Um, because I can't. Oh, I can't there's this gentleman who gets mentioned a few times in the second movie, and he had passed away. And they're like, "Did you ever talk to you know him for your in the first movie?" And off camera, it's just kind of like, "I did." But he, like, he lived at home with his parents and, like, his dad kept coming downstairs to use the bathroom. And I just thought people were going to laugh. Like, I just thought this guy was, like, such a loser. Um, Right. But people were like, yeah, but he, he was doing what he wanted to do. Like, and when you watch the footage of him, he does show footage of this guy. He's just so at peace. And it's, like, what everybody says. He's like, he worked at a bank. He lived at home. He had a shit ton of disposable income. Took all these trips was a wrestling nerd as well. I guess he's a tall, skinny white guy. He looked, he doesn't look like what you would think a typical record hoarder would look like. Um, Right. But even has, like I said, I'm
1: glad that you use the word hoarder (laughs) because you need to give people real understanding of what,
0: how do I live? (laughs) How am I living over here? No records on the floor. That's when the records get on the floor. That's when it's uh, (laughs) a, that's when it's, that's when we cross the line. So, you know, he didn't put – what makes it interesting is in the first movie, he didn't even think of including footage of this guy because he thought he was such a loser. Right. By the second movie, he's kind of like, you know, with the benefit of time and being more okay with himself, he's like, you know, I wish I had been as cool with myself as he was with himself. Right. Back then. It's just interesting to watch. And also interesting to note, he talks to a bunch of couples and none of them integrate their record collections. <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I only know, so, harrowing story, Mm. just to feed off that, um, I have a friend and her her now husband, you know, they both are huge readers, I'm not going to call them out, um, but massive, massive readers, and they have integrated, when I found out they had integrated their book collection, I wanted to vomit, (laughs) I was so upset, I was like, wait, what?
0: He finds he finds one couple I, he finds one married couple who have integrated their collections
1: but i bet they know whose book is whose like or whose album is whose right like
0: well, one of them is definitely like he's like he's like are there duplicates he's like oh yeah there's we definitely she's got a copy and i've got a copy she's like but his copy's better than mine so sometimes if I want to listen to it i grab his copy uh, <laughs> then there are just so many moments where you're like like the best moment at the end and he never like captions who he's talking to it's just like people show up and they just talk about whatever um right including like you know some dudes i I know online from like you know the cratery movement in toronto or dj big jacks who i follow on instagram and have seen at record shows this really made me miss record shows to be honest i used to have such a good time going to record shows and i that's really made me feel that but he's talking to a guy at the end go ahead
1: i used to like when when you would do record shows and you like hate went to record shows.
0: <laughs> cause, cause I, I'm
1: cause just I had, cause line. I just had to know. Yeah.
0: It's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to spend any money, but if I don't go, I won't know what's there. Um, sure. and, you, and you gotta know, Kate, well, how many times have I gone out for a, on a digging afternoon nev- with no intention to buy anything and didn't buy anything, but just had to know what was out there. So maybe I could plan later on. Um, to
1: quote Jordan Ferguson, the sickness is real, y'all.
0: Sickness is real. But there was a moment, it's the last person he talks to, and he's never shown up in the movie before this point in records. He's talking to him and it's like, he's like, well, do you have anything? Uh, do you have any, any pearls of wisdom? Any last words for And he, he had put something on to play for the director. And he comes, he, as he's walking back to sit in his seat, the director's like, do you have anything you want to share You know, with your people, with your tribe? And he sits for a minute. He's like, um, and then like a a jazz guitar solo starts behind him and he just stops and this look on his face. He's like, oh, you hear that? And I busted out laughing because that's, that's, that's the whole thing. Y'all, you, y'all, you, you don't, you don't know how many times Caitlin has been the one asked, do you hear that (laughs) by the co-host of this program? And she has gone, "Uh uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Well, sometimes I hear it and sometimes I don't. You were talking about that. It was the drum. It was some drum beat. (laughs) And you were like, see how it does that thing? And I was like, no, I do not. It's a great song, but I have no (laughs) idea what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. Um, Friends, it's the, listen, (laughs) not that you will have any uh, curiosity about how the sickness functions, but it's definitely, I immediately, I wasn't even finished watching them. I sent both links to Mr. Malosh and I was like, just fucking watch them set some time you will (laughs) you will hear some things that you have said you will hear some things that you have thought and even just hearing you know how people approach it the like the the philosophy the collecting philosophies um it's like i said the second movie is much happier the first movie is very much like oh my god what losers we are the second movie is just him finding people who are just you know yeah, this is what I do and I'm cool with it and I know when to stop and I know <laughs> I know where the I know where the end point is. I know when it's time to cull and rotate the inventory, you know? If if I'm not feeling something, I know mm-hmm. when I hit this, I know when this shelf's full, I'm done. And if more have coming in, some have got to go out, you know, that type of thing. Um it's about this very weird specific <laughs> thing that we're all into, so That's on TV Ontario for $0. Thank you, Government Broadcasting. Whoop, whoop. Speaking of government broadcasting, yeah. Y'all, it's it's not unheard of for a nature documentary to feature on this show, generally brought in by Caitlin McKinnon. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, we're going to talk about trees, (laughs) y'all. I like trees. I'm just going to play like ambient, like Puto Mayo. (laughs) music in the background for the entire back half of the the show friends (laughs) time to get boreal when we come back after this break
1: back to the show this is the half of the show where we talk about the thing we've brought each other but before we get into it i just need to tell you all that if you ever need a pick me up just watch babies reacting to their shadows and crying it's great (laughs) also we have rules (laughs) yes we do The first rule is the rule of three, that is if the thing comes in parts, we will watch three of them to get a sense of the thing, of what the thing is trying to become. But this was, again, another documentary, so it is just uh, its own thing. The second rule is hashtag save it for the pod. That is the rule that we will not talk about the thing before we are sitting in front of these microphones. We kind of bantered a little bit about it, but basically we do that so you guys get the freshest, hottest of takes. This is a little old, it's from 2016. Uh, still relevant, unfortunately, for today. Um, but uh, we want you guys to have fresh takes. No one wants a stale take, right?
0: Hey, Jordan? It is my understanding that no. No one wants a stale take.
1: No. Um, the third rule, which re- really isn't a rule, is that there will be spoilers. It's just a policy. You can't really spoil this thing. It's about trees. <laughs> like... <laughs> how could you have spoil this my lord yeah and there's no spoiling this um the thing we were talking about today so i I was going i thought you know we do like a little bit of a like a tit for tat like jordan gave a documentary i thought you know what it's been a hot minute since we've done some documentaries let me see if i can find something that i could give him um i had not seen this documentary but i known about it Um, Because I know about the uh, scientist slash writer who created the documentary. Um, So the documentary itself is called The Call of the Forest, The Forgotten Wisdom of Trees. It is on TVO, free. Yeah. There for you to watch. Um, It's only 52 minutes, not very long. Um, And it it was created by, basically, by uh, Diana Beresford-Kroger, who is an Irish-born botanist, medical biochemist, polymath, and author. She was born in England, um, raised in Ireland, and now lives in uh, Ontario, Canada, where Jordan and I live. Um, She is world-renowned. Um, and I wrote, oh, sorry, I read her book, To Speak for the Trees, um, My Life's Journey from Ancient Celtic Wisdom to Healing Vision of the Forest. Um, and it was eye-opening and unbelievably well-written um, and fascinating. And she does and is known for doing a really, really good job of taking the science um, and explaining it so sort of the layman can understand it. Um, and... One of the reasons I was excited to give Jordan this documentary and to watch it myself is that I loved the information in this book, but I didn't want to be like, Jordan, read an entire book for the next episode. And what I, from what I understood, um, this documentary is basically like a concise uh, documentary of like the things she talks about in the book, um, why trees are important, uh, more important than we even may think they are. Uh, they don't just you know, create the air we breathe every day. Um, they They're actually important um, in a much bigger way. Um, so, yeah, and it was TVO, and there was a bunch of other, um, like, uh, associations with other uh, film companies, and I thought it looked pretty good. So I, I I enjoyed it. Again, it was sort of like this concise little, like, 52 minutes of information about trees and why they're important and what we can do to help. Um, and, yeah, I was like, why not? So, Jordan, what did you think?
0: Yeah, man. Trees. It's really, man. It's, 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 it's literally, really relaxing, literally, the, literally the only thing I have written down <laughs> in my notes. Trees, man. Oh, I, trees.
1: I'm going to say that, um, like, it's, it was, it was real chill. Like, there <laughs> It was not like Caitlin. Yeah,
0: here's the thing you need to know. Okay, I watched this last night after work. Yeah, and because it was uh, not feasible for me to watch it on my television because it was on the website, I watched it on my iPad. Yeah, it was at the end of a hard day at work. I said, "Let me just uh, let me just slide into bed right quick. It's only 40 minutes. I can make it
1: through." <laughs> oh no
0: not through the whole time. Listen. Gordon Pinsent has a very
1: <laughs>
0: relaxing narrative voice. Um okay, so <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to say fuck trees? No, I'm not going to say that. Um I will say took a little while for the rubber to meet the road for me, just from a nature documentary perspective or getting on board with her, shall we say. Um, initially, you know, Caitlin's playing to my interest. Where do we spend a lot of time in this documentary, Kate? Where are we at? Japan. <laughs> of course we are. Um, and the notion of forest bathing, which was a concept I had heard of before that I've seen books at major Canadian retailer come in about it. We're basically talk just talking about the, the beneficial nature of spending time specifically in under force, under trees. Not just being, like, out in nature, but, like, really being in a densely packed forest. And I was like, oh, tell me about the science of this. And she kind of talks in, she doesn't always, don't jump down my throat here, Uh. but she talks kind of vague initially. She's just talking about, like, there are aerosols, and this I'm sure they are, but, girl, what are they? Like, Kate made me sound like we're going to talk about some science stuff here. And she does. She does get to that point, but it's, it's a smooth, like, 20 minutes where we're just talking vaguely about aerosols. I'm like, if, if, man, is a crystal coming out at some point? Like, this is getting real, <laughs> this is getting borderline, borderline hippy-dippy here.
1: Our inside here, you know, you get an insight and you know something, you know? But you don't want to say it out loud because you're kind of afraid that it's not going to be really true and it'll spoil the whole thing for you, you know?
0: But, no, she does talk about, you know, the, the different sort of the things that trees produce. That's when you are, you know, present in them, the benefit, the benefits they have. I did uh, nod off a bit when she was talking about some sort of nut on one of her trees in her little like Ontario forest and like <laughs> what, how you should be. <laughs> it's a I black, mean,
1: it's a black walnut. If it's
0: everyone beautiful. just eats four of these a day, I'm like, girl, where did the no frills have these? Where do you think I'm getting these at? Like, <laughs> 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 come on. Um <laughs> I I was less familiar with notions of the boreal forest, sort of the crown of the world, as she calls it. That was interesting because how it does kind of run through northern Canada, but then can be traced as well through, like, Scandinavia and uh, Russia as well. And that was interesting, or just, like, the bit about um, the logging industry in Canada and what it did by, like, putting the waste wood in the water and how that backed shit up and, you know, fucked up the migration of the fish and how they, you know, how it's, you know, you think it's just, just dump it in the water, just dump it in the creek. That's fine. It's just wood. What damage is that going to do? Well, it does do damage because the fish can't get through because you're blocking it off, then you know, the fish supplies decrease and that becomes, you know, rougher for everyone. So I'm talking to these people in British Columbia who are were working to clear out The the streams and the creeks so that, you know, the fish can get through and maintain their sort of natural, you know, migration routes. All interesting. Exciting? No. (laughs) Not an exciting watch, not a thrilling watch, but relaxing. Interesting. I'm not going to say I wasn't interested by what I was watching. I did nod off more than once. (laughs) Chalk that up to your man, Gordon. But Kate, tell tell me more. You are well-read here. I told you you were going to have mm-hmm. to drive this half. So, I mean, sell this, sell this to the people, Kate.
1: Okay. Well, okay. So, I'm going to say that I actually felt a lot like I did last week, in which I felt like this could be longer. Um, and maybe get into the science of it a little bit more. Um. But I think it gives a really good perspective of why trees are more important than just oxygen and why it's important to keep old growth forests rather than just being like, oh, well, we can replant stuff. Is it important to plant trees? Yes, it's absolutely 100% important to plant trees. I did think.
0: Sorry to jump in when I told you to drive the show, but I did find that interesting (laughs) as well. (laughs) I did find that interesting as well, where, you know, Tree planting, sure, great, if you throw a Canadian spruce into the middle of Ireland, not necessarily the best, you know, like, it's native, it's biologically, eco-biological native species, right? Like, you want to make sure that what you're adding to the environment, you know, supports a certain level of biodiversity, I guess. And, yes. I, I not really, and I had uh, not uh, thought of that before. You know, it's just like tree planting. Plant a fucking tree. Just take a fucking maple seed and, you know, throw it in the middle of, you know, a Japanese forest. That's fine.
1: Well, I mean, there's a couple different things. A, you want to support uh, the biodiversity that already exists where you live, which is why you plant native species. Um, the second thing is, uh, is that um, just planting trees, even if they're native species, is not all you need to do. The reason we keep um ancient or or old growth forests is because they already have uh, a network of biodiversity as part of them and to just clear-cut them which of course they did a lot in the 1800s and the last couple you know um, um, hundreds of ye- hundreds of years um it causes real damage and they showed that in a couple different places and i thought that was good and they showed why in a couple different places which i also thought was good i personally would have loved more science um because i'm down for that um but i understand not wanting to overwhelm people but it's a really good taste i think of like this is the problem um these are the these are all the benefits of trees and this is how you can help. So they showed um, that one um, scientist, I'm just going to look him up, Professor Akira uh, Miyawaki. He's the one who was talking about planting trees in places where, sure, you're not going to have a huge forest, but you're going to make the environment around you, if you live in a city, at least have more trees and the more and more places you can put them, the more you can get the benefits of trees in like a city. Um, and I'm all for that idea because, you know, not everywhere can afford to have big parks. Um, but at least, you know, you've got a lawn or there's you know, the side of a building or schools or, you know, places where you can have these trees. um, And I liked all that. Um, I thought that was all great. And, you know, showing that there is something that on the individual level people can do and not, you can't wait for governments and their organizations because a lot of them, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the, you know, the half of the show, they don't care. (laughs) They're like, is it not a cash crop? Okay, yeah, we don't care. Um, Individually, and I know a lot, there is sort of a pushback against being like, you know, it's up to each individual to cut their carbon footprint. Well, no, but there is something we could do at least with the trees, which is if, again, she says at the end of the film, if every single person plants one tree for six years, we can reforest the world. Um, And I liked... All of that. And I definitely, if you watch this again, very short documentary, um, I think it will encourage people to read up more about what they can do and read others of the books, which give more information about the science behind it. Um yeah, and that's why I liked it. I liked it because it wasn't this sort of extensive, long meandering documentary. It was just sort of like a short little boop. <laughs> like for some people this is their their trip to work, right? They could just like <laughs> True. And it was very relaxing. It wasn't like, ah, the world's on fire. It was like, we have some issues. I mean, so- yes,
0: I will say that. In in the in the pantheon of uh you know climate change documentaries, this is not an inconvenient truth. You're not going to watch this and be like wanting to hide under you know your bed and just, you know, wait for the inevitable, you know, descent into the sun. Um. This does it's it's gentle. I suppose that's a good adjective for it. You know, it's it does show you, like Kate said, it's you know, <laughs> the the meme of you know all the uh all the private jets leaving the Super Bowl last you know a couple weeks ago, but don't forget to recycle. Um. This is something that y- you know, the individual can do that can have tangible, you know, net benefits to on climate change, you know? And I think it's very gentle in the way it presents it without being, without shying away from the current crisis level while still, still presenting a tangible thing, a manageable, manageably tangible thing that an individual can do. Um, yeah. Whereas typically in documentaries like this, the mode is scare tactics and panic people into doing things. Um, there is something to be said for the way that this presents the issues and posits some of these solutions. So shouts to it for that.
1: Um. And even though you're like, uh, you know, it's fine. You, you've learned a lot. See, you're already telling people about stuff. <laughs> Um, and that's really what you want from a documentary.
0: I have no way to grade this. This is, this seems like, (laughs) this seems like kick punch exempt. Like what what am I going to say? Like trees, man. It's got, it's got a rating of trees, trees, man.
1: It's got a rating of trees, of, of pockets of trees.
0: This documentary gets trees out of 10. That's
1: (laughs) I agree. And yeah, you, you know what? Some of the things you said about, you know, them vaguely talking about aerosols for a while, you're like, man, or is there going to be a coven here soon? Are they gonna <laughs> a goat to the trees or something, you know, but they do, they do go into it. But I would love, a, I would have loved to see more science from the get go. Um, and talking about, you know, even more what each one of these aerosols does. She does go into a little bit. Um, and I think the, the, there is that worry there of scaring people off with of science but I also think she has a really good way and you see this a lot in her writing, a really good way of explaining science mm-hmm. to people. Um, and, you know, she's a incredibly well-educated, smart, interesting woman. And she just wants us all to plant trees. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great goal, <laughs> but plant native trees, even honestly, even, um, I, Look into um, your city, no matter where you are, because I'm sure they have this all over the world. A lot of cities, you will basically give you free trees to plant. Um, You have to, like, sign up and stuff. But a lot of, at least the ones in Canada, a lot of them are, like, we're no longer giving, like, in in Hamilton, they're no longer giving people maple trees. Because there are too many maple (laughs) trees. (laughs) They need, like, more biodiversity. Um, So I think it's... I mean, she's right. It was a very interesting case to be made for what you know, the biodiversity of trees. It's not just trees; it has to be certain trees. But yes, I was. I'm. I'm. I also agree. It's trees out of ten. <laughs> um, and I just hope people take a look. Like it's free. It's really relaxing. It's not even an hour. And yeah, do that. Then watch the music documentary from last week. And and you're set. You've learned a bunch. Learned so much. Short
0: of time. What an informational show yeah. we've become. You gotta find some trash. Gotta find some trash for next week, y'all. Yeah. Uh, well, like Kate said, that's on that's on the TV on t- tvo.org for our global uh, our global audience. If you want to check that out, like I said, like Kate said, quick forty five minutes. If it seems like something uh, you may be interested in learning more about, does not require yeah. too much of your time. Uh thanks to Kate for possibly the weirdest selection that has ever been brought <laughs> to this program. Oh, no.
1: It's been weirder than that. Come on. Is it?
0: I don't know. I'll have to dig back in the archives. Uh where are my historians at? Friends, if you're out there and you can you can immediately point to a weirder episode. Hit <laughs> us up on Twitter.com slash Twitter. and let me know. Other than that, friends, we're gonna put a pin in it right here. It's getting cloudy and snowy out again, so I have to go curl up in bed and (laughs) curse away another wintry Sunday. I'm over winter, y'all. I'm over it.
1: And it's not even March yet. I know.
0: I lousy smart weather. I've had enough. I'm done with it. (laughs) Hopefully, (laughs) these episodes are bringing a little joy into your gray wintry months, friends. Thank you for spending an hour and change with us every week. It truly means the world to us. My name is Jordan Ferguson.
1: My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser, and I hope you will join us next week for another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. I end up... I hope you join us again for another amazing. Can I do that again? Oh,
0: you definitely can.
1: That
0: was someone missed a step on her way out the house and just.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going downstairs first thing in the morning and thinking you've reached the bottom step, and then you are like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 She's so close. She was so close. I was so close. Oh, it's the best one. It's the best one I can see it happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally. It's like literally watching a gymnastics routine. I was like, Oh, she gonna make it? She gonna pull that out? <laughs> Over yeah, it a little bit. She gonna land it?
1: Oh no, no, she didn't. No, she dropped her baton. <laughs>